options are endless almost, especially in the market like UK. There's mm -hmm. so many pet foods and there's always a risk, right? First time you're going to buy a food, you don't know if your pet is going to like it. But on the product page, this is going to be the only pictures you're going to see. You want to make sure that they are very high quality. It's, mm -hmm. The product is very clear. The ingredient is showing. Welcome to another episode of Click to Buy. Today I have Viquette with me. She works at Mars Pet Care and we're going to be discussing topics such as conversion optimization, how to get insights from your customers to improve your conversion, the difference between conversion tactics for products for pets such as cats versus dogs, and lots more topics. Let's dive in. Viquette, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. How are you? So happy to be here. I'm good. Oh, always good to see you. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'd, I'd love it if for the people who don't know you, you could briefly introduce yourself and your role. Sure. I'm Kat. I am the customer journey manager at Mars Pet Care D2C Europe. <laughs> it's a mouthful. So basically, I'm responsible for getting digital customer insights as well as running experiments on the websites for website optimization. And maybe could you explain just a little bit about like the overview of what Mars Pet Care sells, what the brand is? Sure. Well, Mars Pet Care sells a lot of brands to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so direct to customers. Uh, within Europe, we have a couple of websites. So James Well Beloved in the UK is our biggest uh, store. Uh, it's a product that is basically about like, I'll say healthy and hypoallergenic pet foods specific and like natural ingredients focused brand. And we have Green Pet. So Natosan is our cat litter that is sustainability driven, is all, um, yeah, product like uh, ingredients that is easy to recycle and more sustainable. And also, well, James Love Love, you also have it in Germany. And we also have my, uh, individualized pet food in Germany called My Perfect Fit, which you basically answer couple of questions about your pets, about what their needs are, how much they weigh, and stuff like that. And then we create a special pet food recipe just for that pet, basically. So those are the main websites that I'm currently working on. So James Oblad in two countries, my perfect mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Well, it sounds like you have, especially working on so many different brands, a lot of experience that you can pull from maybe a site that's more personalized versus something that's in a couple different countries, how you can maybe have conversion localization as well. Uh, so I'd love to get started with a little section I like to call this or that, uh, where I get your hot takes on a couple common uh, things that people put on their site. Um, so to clarify, uh, this podcast is, of course, sponsored by Instant, which is a no-code Shopify page builder. And so the big reason for having a guest like you on this podcast is that we're looking for tips and tricks that our community can use when they're building or designing a page or a product page. So for this or that, do, in your advice, would you say that it's better to have on-site reviews or external off-site reviews on a product page? I think both of them are super important. I'll say on-site reviews are faster for conversion. People need to show you trust and see how many people reviewed and things like that. Off-site, so any recommendations that other blogs give of your brand is good for long-term brand repetition. So if you're looking into why uh, people come to my website, I want them to convert inside on-site reviews. They're a must-have. I think mm -hmm. every website needs to have them. But an off-site is really good for long-term brand repetition. Gotcha. And maybe on the same kind of topic, but this is for kind of like social proof, 
um, as well. Would you prefer or recommend videos testimonials or written testimonials? One of both, but I would say, yeah. here's, I would say picture, well, yeah, written, written and hopefully combined with picture. The problem I have with videos is you do all it with one, it might slow down the speed, may or may not be true, but also you don't know if everyone's going to listen to it and everyone's going to watch it. Whereas I feel like written ones are kind of snappier to see. It's safer to go with written, but if possible, followed by a picture. Gotcha. And perhaps for this last one, we can be specific because you work in the pet care and product space and segment. Do you think for the sites that you run, that you work on user generated content or professional product photos, um, if you could only pick one, what would you pick and why? Yeah. If I have to choose one, I would, yeah. okay, I, I love social proofing as you know that, but mm -hmm. for this question, I would actually choose professional. Because especially if it has to be the primary picture of the product on the product page, this is going to be the only pictures you're going to see. You want to make sure that they are very high quality. It's, mm -hmm. The product is very clear. The ingredient is shown. If it's even like, if, if, like even for example, on a cat litter, you do want to show the type of ingredients, like the litter itself, for example. So I think if it's professionally taken pictures, you can provide a lot more contact to the customers. If you have to choose one, if you can have both, I would recommend professional on top and in the review section, add pictures with customers using it to add to the social proofing and it's like how this use case. Gotcha. Well, you've spoken a lot about social proof. So this is a great segue to my next question. In your experience, what role does social proof play in the conversion improvement process? I think it's a lot. I think it's just such a golden rule, golden thing that we can use. Not even just decom, basically. I think social proofing. So the concept that people um, look for what other people are like popularity. So what other people are buying and what other people are saying is not in just decom, like a e-commerce, but also in every aspect of, of our life, social proofing is a fundamental part, right? Like we are mm -hmm. social beings. So going to a place we we're the social beings living in groups. So having that needs of other people's opinion is something quite important to us. And also in terms of decision-making, we can't always look at all the data we have available. We can't always use the best analytic tools we have to make a decision. And what people are saying or using is a very good and quite reliable way for people to make a decision on what to buy, what not to buy. And I think I can give many examples on my study. <laughs> Globally, all CRO experts would, I think, say that social proofing studies is very good and, I'll say, reliable ways to improve conversion rate. Yeah, well, I personally know that you have a little bit of a psychology background. Does that play into social proof? Are there any kind of principles you could outline, maybe, for those who are unfamiliar? Uh, so, yeah, so I would say in the social proofing side, as I mm -hmm. mentioned, is like, social desirability effect is part of it as well. So you want people to agree with you. So you want to be in group, like people likes to be part of a group that agrees with each other. So if you buy a product that is a lot of people are buying, one, you feel you're part of a community, which is even if it's like a, you can't see them, you feel part of a group. And it's social, again, social desirability effect shows that we do want to do something that is approved by other people. So it kind of goes mm -hmm. very fundamental with us, I would say. Uh, and it, yeah, as I mentioned, the decision-making is a short versus long thinking process. It's a quick way for us to make decisions. 
Gosh, and um, of course, at the end of the day, a lot of companies, maybe um, any brand, doesn't have to be just in the pet care space. The focus is kind of on increasing that AOV. Do you have any tactics that have worked in your experience? Yeah, so average order value is such an important thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an important thing to have. Um, we, yeah, I would say we added the price per kilo on the pack sizes visible to the customers seeing that the bigger pack sizes have a cheaper per kilo one. So even though they look more expensive, having that um, mm. that price decrease is important. We have experimented with showing how much pounds versus how much percentage of savings they would have. We initially thought the pound would work, but also like percentage worked quite well because it's easy for customers to understand that bigger packs actually saves more money for them. Um, and next, last thing I would say that as we showed, it was really good for us. And I think it's just a really good practice as well is to add how far you are. If you have free shipping over a specific mm -hmm. limit, showing to the customers that how far they are away from free shipping. So if they did 10 euros, 10 pounds, and then they need 20, 15 more to get a free shipping, like just give them a nudge. Be like, Hey, if you spend that much more, you get free shipping. And it's just a always a good technique and I think it's a very common practice right now to use that approach. Definitely. I think what you said in the beginning was quite interesting as well that you had maybe two different ways of showing the same information that you tested, if I'm not wrong, and that you found that like showing the percentage or showing maybe this information in the way that was most easy to understand is what led to the biggest impact. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. In that case, it was percentage versus pounds, but it, it's always something you need to check which one works better for your product and where you're displaying it to. Mm -hmm. And so I know you've mentioned that you try to like nudge customers in the right direction. How do you discover which parts of the customer online shopping experience um, need that nudge or improved maybe element to increase conversions? Um, well, we are still working on making sure that is the case. But it yeah. was, I will say looking at the analytics we have and when we are seeing the most drops on mm -hmm. also just technical limitations. So what's the easiest for us to test first to see whether that works. So we really, we find out about our biggest drops where we need to do more and also see what we can do about it. But specifically for AOV, it's also, you need to think about the natural flow of customers, right? Like you're, mm -hmm. if someone is planning to get what by one thing, I don't want to disturb them from wanting that yet. So until they are ready to buy that, then I can say, hey, since you're already interested in this, why not add this to it? So kind of thinking the natural way of customer's thought process, because if I try to sell them five things at a time, they would likely be overwhelmed and it's just not likely to leave. So the harder the making process is, less likely that the customers will be willing to do it. So it's a unique, I didn't, and for this example, we identify, we want to identify the best step where the customer already made a decision. And so we mm -hmm. can make them do another little more decision at two mm. than at the beginning. Yeah. Like, okay, you're already happy with this. How do we just bump it up just a little bit? Exactly. I got, got it. And um, what role does like customer insights and in getting like user feedback play in your conversion optimization? Quite a lot. Uh, as in, I mean, not enough, quite a lot and not enough, I will say. I think with the customer feedback, there's always more that we can do. Um, so we combine quite a few different methods. So the customer service insights that we 
get them a lot as in we are always in huge communication with the customer care and if there's anything big to flag it's not even a test it's just no go let's do it yeah if it's a big issue that it's not easy to fix then we do go into our meetings and evaluate them and see what's the priority of what we address them so that's how we use a customer generated like customer specific feedback customer care such trust by like the reviews we also do surveys anytime that we especially have a question to have quick pop-ups on the website. If we do need a quick insight about something we're not sure about, or we do session recordings, heat maps, or things like that. So we generate a mm -hmm. lot of ones. Again, an advantage and disadvantage I have is that our websites have different maturity levels, meaning for a website that is new and just growing like it just started up i can't run a b test right so then i need to rely more on general market insights or this and that so we don't have that many reviews so i need to look at to the session recordings and like different things whereas for a brand that is much bigger then i have much more flexibility and much more room to play around with it if that makes sense yeah it, it definitely does and when you get this these insights from surveys or from these user groups, how do you prioritize the requests or the things that you notice need improvement? Because I imagine you get so much data, it might be hard to figure out like what to work and focus on first. Yeah, it's always something that we're trying to do better. Uh, so we have two systems. One is I use a very simple Excel sheet with Pi. So opt uh, potential impact and effort so that's one thing that we score if there's something scores high be like let's do it to be honest because we have a lot of things going on effort is also something that we prioritize a lot more on maybe well unless something very very high impact just because we have lots of something going on in a quieter period we might do something bigger project so we kind of try to impact sorry look into the impact versus effort mm -hmm. and, and another side is what the teams are working on right like if you're launching a big new feature then unless something else is a really buggy or something very, very urgent and critical, let's focus on that future and make that well. And let's all of us work on the same thing and get insights about that specifically. So it's one about the effort versus potential. And the other one is what, as a team, we are really focusing at the same time. What is our key aspect that we want to drive? I see. And maybe taking in all the learnings and your experience at uh, Mars, if you had to give advice for someone who's trying to optimize like a product page in the pet care space, what are the key parts of a page and maybe or even on a micro level, like parts of the copy or things like that, that you would really focus on hitting first? Good question. I would say one is ingredients. Customers do get pet because it sounds easy, but make sure your ingredient list is very easily visible. Yeah. Um, because they do care about that a lot. And I would say also understanding the suitability. So you need to get the basics right. You might have the very fancy and cool, exciting copy, but if customers are not sure why they should get from you and what are you actually selling, they're just not going to get as simple as it sounds. And also, I think for any website, not just us, but shipping details and return details are just needs to be visible because with pet care options are endless almost especially in the market like uk there's mm -hmm. so many pet foods and there's always a risk right first time you're gonna buy a food you don't know if your pet is gonna like it like with fashion True. you say oh, i like it it's probably gonna look okay but with pet food you don't so having a small pack size is available if they want to try it out 
or having that security, these reviews that customers have, things like that, especially in cat food, having a picture of a cat enjoying the food, because cats are known to be fussy around, I think around like 20, 30% people consider their pet not, cat not to be fussy. So you need to get the, make customers feel that palatability is on point. <laughs> So the cat, when it comes to conversion, often between countries, there's a difference. But is there a difference in conversion tactics when it comes to dogs versus cats in the products that you're selling? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think subtle at this moment, as far as I'm aware. Unfortunately, I can't make a fair distinction because our website is either predominantly for cats versus predominantly for dogs. So it's not a clear within the brand experience that I can say. But overall, I would say, as I mentioned, with cats, fussiness is something you always have to keep put into consideration. Whereas with dogs, they have different health issues and there are different needs that you need to be aligned on. So, for example, with our hypoallergenic dog food, it's just as a global knowledge that golden retrievers are known to have more allergy issues as a pet food, like cats. So, trying to address what the brands, like what the different breeds and what kind yeah. of animal struggles are. They're quite important. Also in the blog content that we create, right? Like the dog's needs versus cat needs. It's quite different. That needs to be aligned to. Yeah, that's quite interesting. So I'm picturing for like, if I'm selling a cat product, I really need to think that I need a happy cat. It needs to like show off in the copy and in the content that this cat is quite pleased to be enjoying this product. But for a dog, it's more about, um, I'm someone who really cares about my pet. I know that they might have these health issues. I want to know like the nutrients, the it's been tested, like other breeds that it's suitable for this type of information. I think so. I was saying with them, with dogs, you still need to show the picture of the dog. Of course, yeah. That would be the case. But yes, I would say that just like, for example, shiny coats is something that our customers said that with the dog food, they care a lot about that. It's like their coat is shiny. Yeah. And if you have any issue with health, it's just important to clarify the ingredients that you don't have those. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you also said that you have sold, you work in stores that are in different countries. So a follow-up question, uh, what is the different conversion tactics that you use for like localized experiences? Are there some things that work in some markets that don't in others? Mm, I'll say ingredients are all important for both, but to my mm -hmm. experience, again, it's different customer base, so I cannot generalize my findings. Sure. Yeah. We found that with Germany, we found that it's like specific ingredient list. They've been commenting it a lot. Like, feels like German customers are very much into getting, yeah, the mm. details. Not just the marketing side of it, but they're almost like cut to the chase. Tell yeah. Me this. That but directness. Directness. <laughs> Like, I want to know the outcome. Like, just tell me what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a very straight, straight, straightforward market, it feels like. Nice. I think that's quite interesting. So if you're a, a company out there that's maybe thinking about selling dog food or some products in Germany, definitely keep that in mind. Uh, thinking away from maybe some of like the the really specifics do you have any brands that have really inspired you with their conversion tactics like anything that comes to mind i'm gonna say i'm gonna give an example of non-pet food if that's okay yeah no sure it can be from your own shopping experience or so, your research so within a year and a half ago i got into skincare 
wasn't before Georgians got me into it. Um, and there's a website in the Netherlands called Little Wonderland. It's a Korean skincare uh, website. And I am, I admire the AUX so much because I was like, skincare is a big world. There's a lot of ingredients. There's a lot of chemicals. I was like, yeah. Ah. And I have a sensitive skin. So I've been like, ooh, very scared of whole skincare when I started it. But their website is so good in the sense of they educate you so well at every stage. So the filtering that they have is not just ingredients. It's really explained like the problem base, like depending on your skin problems, you can have the specific filters as well as the brand and everything, the normal stuff, but they really understand the customer point of view. And when you go into the product page that you're exploring, they actually even have a chart that says like, if you have an extensive skincare routine of 10 steps, where would this product would fit into it? So if it's a serum, is it the first day serum? Is it the last day serum? Like it really tells you, it tries to educate you so well about how, where you need to use it, any watchouts that you need to have, which kind of skin that it's suitable for. They tag them all super well. So even for a newbie like myself, although I'm getting better now, but I was a newbie, that website was a website that I felt so comfortable at shopping because it tells you, and if this, for example, if you get this stage on this product, for the next day as a moisturizer, this is quite suitable for your own skin. So it really helps you make a whole skincare routine with the products they have, but it's also in a very nice way. And every time you order, they give you little gifts with it and little stuff. It's just a, it's one website that I feel I've never been that happy. And as you can see, it's not just products, it's not just fancy images that they have. It's really, they know what customer needs. They know how difficult customer care can be for people. Yeah, yeah it sounds, sounds like a really personalized experience. And as we spoke about earlier, like you really need to kind of nudge consumers in the right direction. But kind of the best way to do that is by actually giving them what they're looking for or solving the problem, which in your case, you want to build this routine. You want to know what's next. You're someone who wants to learn. So you're a highly motivated buyer. And as long as they've set themselves up for success, like it's kind of a guaranteed conversion. So long as you get the info that you need in the right kind of order. So I think that's a great example we'll, we'll drop the link in the show notes to that page as well yes also yeah but again with the whole decision making right like mm -hmm. decision is very difficult customers will likely drop whereas in this case they made a very complicated skincare experience quite easy for me to understand so even so it makes me want to stay and because they show all the steps of what you need to do they're also increasing their aov because if i buy one product there and they show me how to buy the other product of the other step i'm likely to stay within that website yeah suddenly you have all your skincare from one a one-stop shop i kind of do to be honest i mean there we go uh, it's already like a great example i think especially if it was successful in converting uh someone like you who really knew what they were looking for and had only the only thing that could have stopped you would have been if this wasn't set up in the correct way to present you the info you needed so lovely example um i guess like in your day-to-day -day job uh do you have any tools that you can recommend when it comes to working on conversion of a site like are there is a tech stack that you really like i think it's not a tech stack, but it's just general do use and we're doing it but we should do even more so is user if Trustpilot, Fefo, whichever customer review tool you have, which a lot of websites do, use that. <laughs> Not just like to create social proofing, but also to get customer insights and find information. I think just with that one, you can do a lot because they are actually customers willing with giving their insight, like giving you their pain points or drivers. Like you ask instead of a question, they're like, 
hey, in a plate. So I'm telling you what I like and don't like. Yeah, they're like those people at the airport with like the cones. They're like this, fix this right here. And exactly. <laughs> so that is the one I'll say most companies have tool, analytic tool that you should really um, use. I do use VWS so for A-B testing and analytics. I mm -hmm. use the A-B testing tool, basically, that I do like. Um, so that's what I would say, too. I don't think you need too many. I mean, GA, of course, mm -hmm. basics. But if I have to choose one that is easy to access and not many people, I think, utilize this to the full extent, it would be the reviews. The reviews you have used up. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, now kind of getting to the end of the episode, I'm going to ask a couple kind of existential questions uh, just to hear your thoughts on it, your hot takes. What do you think most businesses get wrong when it comes to conversion? Hmm. I think one thing I see, and especially startup, like in small brands that like they care, I'll say, I love some creative images that some websites have one i think um it's it can get so overboard that it's so shiny images that is yeah it grabs your attention but distracts you from what you're trying to do or this like animated symbols as you scroll the text goes around and stuff it sounds very cool and i understand the excitement that the people who are building it doing but i would suggest that is if you look at the very big e-commerce websites like Amazon, but they don't look the shiniest and the best. They just have mm -hmm. a really functioning way of working and they know what customers want. I will say for the startup or any company that is, is great to have good images for clarity reasons. You need to make sure that your product is crystal clear, but not, I would suggest not to go overboard with shiny animations and a lot of things that is moving around and 20 colors that is getting your attention from different places. Yeah, so keep keep it on brand, and you can get creative, but not so much that it impacts the the user experience. Yeah. All right, I like that. That's definitely a solid learning. So maybe anyone out there who's listening, check your website, see uh, see if your design maybe could use a few tweaks from Viquette's insights here. Uh, so we have actually a question from you for for you from another guest. Uh, so at the end of each episode, I ask a guest what our next guest should answer. And so a previous guest who's a bit of a contrarian would love to know what um, what is something that you tried that you didn't think would work, but it worked. I want to say the other, I want to change the question again a bit, if that's okay, to see. You can do whatever you want in this podcast. Uh, Something a big trick in conversion rate is, mm -hmm. as in fixed navigation bar. It's a known technique. It's such a big, almost no regret move for a lot of companies. And for one of our websites, we thought, oh, let's try it. This, I, I thought it's going to win. It's just like, ah, great. I'll get a boost on conversion rate. No issue. No, it didn't win. <laughs> so to me, that was like, oh my God, that didn't win. And on another website we have, it was already there. So I was like, okay, let's see uh, whether we remove it, what happens. So we kind of double test with the other brand. Um, and for that one, it worked. So that was really weird that one of our websites, the yeah. SIG navigation, didn't work. It didn't result in a significant and negative results, but it was definitely not the winner that we expected it was going to be. Uh, versus, versus for another brand, it worked wonders. It was what it needed. Uh, so I think that's a good learning that is just like all the tricks that on conversion rates are very good, very inspirational. 
but they're not all no regret moves that you should do without testing because it's every website is different and my hypothesis isn't that the version that didn't win is because we have a lot of different logs and a lot of different things in the navigation that was distracting customers from conversion probably it's just a hypothesis whereas mm -hmm. another brand or it was just truly you just like buy from us kind of website it didn't distract so test <laughs> if you can yeah i think i think that's excellent advice especially as you said like it sounds like don't think of a one size fits all approach you're someone who works on multiple different brands in your day to day so you've seen at a first hand that what works for one maybe it's not going to work the same for the next yeah exactly and uh, my last question uh, what is a question you'd like our next guest to answer so think someone like you who's in the conversion optimization space what's something you're you're dying to know I'm curious about their hot take on the pop-ups newsletter signups, but it's a, it's something I feel like is such a, how's a debate, ongoing debate, because they do impact conversions by comeback signups and extra discounts, but they do disturb conversions as well, um, because they disturb experience. Um, sorry, they may not disturb the conversion, but they do disturb the experience because you get a pop-up all of a sudden. I'm curious what they think. Are they a hater of it? Do they love it? Do they have any tricks to make make it use well? That would be yeah. my question. I love it. It sounds like a perfect hot topic. And uh, I'll be sure to send their answer to you so that you can hear what they had to say on this hot button topic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Viquette. This was a lovely episode. So again, this was Click to Buy. You can always reach out to us if you have a question about conversion that you would like one of our guests to answer. Uh, until the next episode, I'm Becca. This has been Viquette. And this has been another episode of Click to Buy. Thank you. Thank you.